In the fourth year of the administration of President Barack Obama, when Tom Corbett was governor of the state of Pennsylvania, Luke Ravenstall was mayor of Pittsburgh. During the time when Robert Duncan was the Anglican Bishop of Pittsburgh, the word of the Lord came to Robin and Anne and Jean and Annika and you all went out into your neighborhoods and you went to your colleagues at work and spoke with your extended family, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Such a reimagining of the gospel reading this morning may bring the message of John the Baptist, well, perhaps just a little too close for comfort. Perhaps you prefer hearing the story of John preparing the way at a distance. You know, we may hear familiar words from the Bible only as concerning events that all happened a long time ago in a faraway place. But when we do that, we are in danger of missing valuable lessons. Part of the context for what we read is that our God is a God who speaks. Yes, God has made himself known in history, but God is a God who continues to speak today. I wonder, do you come to church week by week expecting to hear from God? Could it be that God has something to say to you today? I think he does. But what is it? What does God have to say to us this morning? Well, keep listening. Our scriptures this morning are powerful. They speak God's word to his people over countless generations, and they're words that are very up to date. First, we saw God speaking through the prophet Malachi, who lived some 400 years or so before Jesus and John the Baptist. And the prophet spoke in the context of a people who had become cynical and unbelieving. They'd given up on God and on taking right and wrong seriously. They were too focused on their own prosperity. Malachi looked ahead to the day when God would come among his people. That time Malachi looked forward to was a time when God would send a messenger. And that messenger we now know was John the Baptist. Jesus actually said so expressly. We can read about it in uh, Luke 7. And the, the crowds were coming saying, well, who is this John fellow out in the wilderness? And Jesus said, he's the one. He's the one that Malachi promised would come and said, behold, my messenger will come and prepare the way. And in a sense, the message in Malachi and the message in, in today's gospel passage are, are essentially the same. Prepare the way. Is it possible that God may still be saying the same thing to us? I think it is. The scriptures today speak of a coming day of the Lord, a day that will be both wonderful and terrible. Advent is all about waiting for a coming day. We wait and prepare to celebrate Christmas, sure, but more than that, we wait and prepare for that day when Jesus will come again. So how are we to do that? How can you and I prepare 
for Jesus coming again? Well, this morning I want to suggest three ways. First, we are to repent. Indeed, unless we're willing to repent, all our preparations for Jesus are worthless. Actually, that was at the heart of what Malachi was preaching about. God's people were trying to be all religious with their festivals and assemblies and lots of meetings, while the whole time their lives were a mess. They were trampling the poor. They were robbing God of their tithes. And they were generally carrying on as if God wasn't real and didn't mean the things that he had said. Likewise, in John's day, some of the people who came out to the wilderness to hear him were deeply religious people, yet who were living a kind of double life with a double standard. They were observing the minutiae of the law on the one hand while placing heavy burdens on other people on the other. And God says, through John, repent. And you know, repentance is still at the heart of the gospel. For none of us is pure. None of us is without sin. It is only through Christ and his grace that we find mercy and forgiveness. The prophet Malachi spoke of the Lord as being like a refiner's fire. And one of the great Advent themes is that when Christ returns, he will come again as judge. Malachi prophesies, verse 2, Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier. Now, pictures of fire like that can be pretty scary. But here the picture is not one of destruction, but of a refining and a purifying. And again, the fuller's soap is another image of that purifying. It was an alkali used to whiten cloth. They didn't have soap as we know it back then. But where does all that leave us this morning? I wonder, how have you come here this morning? I don't mean by what mode of transport. I mean, really, what's going on with you in your heart and mind? You know, however you've come, I'm, I'm glad that you have. Maybe there are some here this morning who frankly feel like they're a failure. Or maybe there are others who are here feeling rather proud of themselves or judgmental. Well, whichever it is, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you think you're better than your neighbor, or maybe you think you're useless. Whatever your particular frame of mind, come and draw near to Jesus. Repent and ask him to forgive you and receive his love. But you should know that there is something very down-to-earth about preparing the way for Jesus. If there are rough places that need to be made smooth, how do you suppose that will happen? You know, the image that John used is that of road building. And if you watch those massive earth movers that carve their way through hillsides to make a road straight, you will see that's a pretty drastic exercise. When Malachi speaks of the Lord as a refiner, he has in mind all of the impurities and dross being burned off as in a furnace. You know, sometimes I think we like the idea of holiness and being holy ourselves. I, I really do. 
It's just that I think we rather hope it may come to us gently. But the image here is not of God using a nice soft cloth or some kind of comfort blanket to polish up our rough edges. No, gold is refined in the furnace. And God's refining may come to you through suffering or through hardship or through times of testing. Using that analogy of road building in our gospel, let me ask you this. What crooked places are there in your life that need to be straightened out? What empty valleys are there that need to be filled? What mountains of your own egos need to be leveled? What rough edges of your character need to be smoothed out? All so that God's salvation can be revealed through you. And so where does this leave us? But it leaves us with this call to repent. But more than that, to call upon God to help us prepare the way of the Lord in our lives and for others. To help us to go into the world proclaiming his gospel. Please don't hear today's message as an exhortation to try harder, as if you can refine yourself and get rid of the potholes without help. You cannot. You can't do it. The only way this kind of drastic reshaping and transforming can occur is if we will hear and respond to this first word of repentance. And you know, the amazing thing about repentance is that the kind of honesty that goes with it from our side elicits not God's frowning disappointment or finger-wagging, rather his smiling love. So, the first way we are to prepare the way is through repentance. The second way that we can prepare the way of the Lord is by growing in love. And to see what this looks like, I want to talk a little bit about the epistle reading this morning. And in that, we encounter St. Paul praying that the Christians at the church in Philippi would grow in their love for one another. Yeah, that's a great way for us to pray for one another. Listen to what he says in verse 9. That our love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help us determine what is best, so that we may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus for the glory and praise of God. So what might that overflowing love that he describes actually look like? You know, when I think of an overflow, I usually think of maybe a toilet that's overflowing. Or, or, or in a better, brighter moment, I might think of a waterfall that is overflowing. And the thing about things that overflow is that what overflows simply comes out. It simply happens. It's not super controlled. Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. You know, the waterfall at the end of a high-up glacial lake overflows pure, crystal, bright water. It doesn't have to try to do that. It just flows out. 
And likewise, that which may overflow from a backed up, well, you get the idea. The overflow of love that St. Paul is praying for is a love that is filled with knowledge and full insight to help us know what is best. You know, in this season of Advent, of of waiting for Jesus to come again, of preparing the way for him to work in our midst, we need that kind of love. Love that's filled with knowledge and, and full insight so that we can determine what is best in our work, in our relationships, in our decisions, so that we may be pure and blameless. As many of you know, my my father died on Friday. And one of the things that I'm profoundly grateful for is the example that my dad has been to me throughout my life and in countless ways of what it looks like to overflow with love. The past week, we got a precious glimpse of that again. Dad was drifting in and out of consciousness and my mom and my brother and sister were with him And the last thing they heard from his lips were his prayers. On several occasions, he began to to, to murmur and to talk, and they went close, and he was praying. One day, he just prayed that the Lord would watch over them for today and for tomorrow. And the final prayer on Thursday night, he prayed for the grandchildren and for the family. I think that's the sort of thing Paul is talking about when love overflows from our hearts. I don't quite know what would overflow from my heart if I were unconscious. Sometimes that's a rather worrying thought. But the time for us to prepare is not when we're near the end of our lives. The time for us to prepare is today and tomorrow and the next day. It's now. And the preparation that you and I can do is a preparation of our hearts. You know, maybe you hear a story about my dad or some other person you know who loved Jesus to the end, and and you look in the mirror and you think, well, what chance have I got to be like that? Well, here's the wonderful thing that I want you to hear this morning. My dad wasn't praying for us because he tried harder than most people to be religious. No, that's ridiculous. He was praying for us because he had set his heart and mind on his Lord and his Savior. And the overflow of that was the love that I and so many more besides have had the privilege of experiencing and being the recipients of. And we can have confidence, a confidence that is based not on our own merits, but a confidence that is based in Jesus in the one who has begun a good work in our midst. God is not done with us. There's more in our readings today. As well as the call to repent, as well as the prayer that we would overflow with love, there is a third word for us, and that word is joy. You know, I think sometimes we hear these words calling us to repent And we consider the refining fire that will reshape us and remold us and purify us. And we may become afraid of how hard it can be. And that's not a wholly inappropriate fear to have. Certainly these words are serious and weighty words for us to ponder. But alongside that, 
there is a lightness in our readings, particularly in that passage from Philippians that's simply bursting with hope and joy. Did you see that in what Paul is writing? As he thinks about those Christians, he smiles. I thank God every time I remember you, he writes, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And by the way, the church at Philippi wasn't some mega church with thousands of members. Actually, it started as a tiny little house church with a group of women that met outside the, the city walls. Paul's confidence and joy are based not on their ability to grow, but on God's ability to work in them. You know, I think when we're facing trials, or hardships, or grief, it's good to remember that God hasn't abandoned us and he's not done with us. Consider again for a moment those rough places in your life. Ask God to make them smooth. That's not a comfortable thing that you can expect, but ask him. And ask God to show you how even now he may be refining you. I know when I'm feeling under pressure or facing trials, it helps me to remember. As we did with the psalmist this morning, remembering God's goodness fills our mouths with laughter. The refrain of that psalm that we sang declared, The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. When I was with my dad six weeks ago, just about the time he received the diagnosis that he may only have a few weeks to live, I was with him in the hospital one morning. He'd been reading from the scriptures as he did every day, and he read Psalm, he'd read Psalm 121, a psalm that speaks of God's goodness, watching over us and not letting us slip or stumble. And dad said to me, you know, Jonathan, you read a psalm like that when you're a young man and you, you take it on trust. You believe that it's true. But the wonderful thing is, he said, reading it now, as I look back on my life, I know that it's true. What joy, my friends, there is when we put our hope in God. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Though we may sow in tears, we will reap with songs of joy. Though there is weeping in the planting, there is joy in the harvesting. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. Overflow with love and be glad. For the Lord has done great things for us and he is coming again. And on that day, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God.
I am confident that the one who has begun a good work among us will bring it to completion. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your work in our lives and in the life of this parish. Thank you that you are a God who knows us and loves us and speaks to us still today. Help us to hear your call, to turn to you again and repent of our sin. Forgive us, we pray, and increase in us your love and your joy that it may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight, so that we may be found pure and blameless when you shall come again in glory. You have done great things for us, and we are glad.